it's great to see you guys. Uh, before we dive into the message, I just got one quick thing for you. Uh, you may have heard this past week that we as a church reached our goal for the next initiative, which is awesome. And so huge, huge deal. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, what's the next initiative? Maybe you're new. Our, our church just walked through a big initiative to raise money to relocate. We continue to run out of space. Every time we create space here, we run out of it. And so we are getting ready uh, sometime in the next several months to relocate our church family to a new space somewhere other than here in order to make room for those people who aren't yet with us. Now, here's what I need to say, um, and, and I hope you guys agree with me. We can't afford to wait until we get somewhere else to make room for people who aren't yet with us. Are you with me? Now, there's only a couple ways we can create room here where we are now, and, uh, and we want to ask you to get on board with one of the ways, okay? Uh, in January, we always see attendance spike through the roof. Wintertime is, is the time of the year where we are packed the most. And so come January, there's going to be less seats in this building uh, than there is all year. And so in preparation for that, here's what we're asking you to do. And I know some of you are like, dude, you're about to ask me to do something else. I just gave and we did this whole thing. Yeah. And why? Well, because there's people outside our walls who desperately need Jesus. And we want to be people making room so that they can hear, know, love, follow after Jesus. And so uh, we want to do whatever it takes. So in January, they're going to be coming and we want to have a seat. And so we want to ask you, uh, 10 o'clock people. And I'm going to ask the 1130 people the same thing. Look, if it works with your schedule and you can wake up earlier and come at 8.30, or you can come later in the afternoon, and you can come at 5 p.m. All the gatherings all day are the same. I want to ask you, would you be willing to give up your seat for somebody who's not yet with us? Would you be willing to help us make room now for people who need to be a part of what God is doing in this place by simply giving up a seat? And so pray about that. Uh, talk to your family about it. And if you can help us to make room now, just know it would be greatly, greatly appreciated and we'll continue to, uh, to stay in your ear about it as we move closer to January, all right? Well, cool. Let's grab our Bibles. Uh, let's go to Luke chapter 2 together. Luke chapter 2. Last Sunday, we started a brand new series called Do You See What I See? And throughout the month of, month of December, we're simply looking at the stories of different people who were present when Jesus first came into the world, and we're using their stories to ask and answer the question, what do we see when we see Jesus. Now, if you were here last Sunday, you may remember me mentioning briefly that when Jesus came into this world, he came as a missionary. Now, I got to thinking about that. I think that concept, and I could be wrong, but I, I think that concept of Jesus as a missionary is probably a new concept for many of us in the room. And here's why. Because when we think of missionaries, don't our brains oftentimes go to the person living in the middle of Africa eating uh, sticks, tree bark, living in a mud hut, all for the sake of Jesus. That's why some of us in the room have prayed our entire lives. God, don't ask me to be a missionary, right? That's what we have going on in our brains. Look, that is, yes, that person is a missionary, but they're just one type of missionary. A missionary is simply this, a person who adapts to a particular context or culture by dressing like the people dress, eating what the people eat, speaking the language the people speak, adhering to certain social and cultural rules that the people adhere to, 
And that's what Jesus did when he showed up 2,000 years ago as a man, God in the flesh. He immersed himself in a particular culture, the Jewish culture. He dressed the part, he spoke the language, he ate the food, he played by all the rules, and he did it, we know this from the Bible, for the sake of his mission, which was to seek and save the lost. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus in the house today, here's what you gotta know. According to the Bible, your life is meant to be patterned after his. And so guess what that means for you? It means that you are a missionary, I don't know if you realize this or not, but God has cleverly designed you as a missionary in order to use you in those places where you live, work, and play each day. This is why some of us are teachers, others are bankers, others are businessmen. Uh, Some of us in the room were, were lawyers, business owners. It's why you go to the school you go to, students. It's why you live in the neighborhood you live in. You see, God has uniquely wired you, gifted you, and placed you in different arenas of life and culture in order to put Jesus on display through your life to people in those arenas. We're all missionaries. Do you know that you can reach people that other people in this room could never reach? You know why? Because you're going into places that some of us in this room will never go into. And you're speaking the language, you're dressing the part, you're playing by all the same rules. And by doing so, you're building relational equity in those places with people who desperately need what you have in Jesus Christ. Now, here's the key. And if you're taking notes, this is something uh, you may want to write down. Look, to live as the missionary you're meant to be, you first have to see Jesus correctly. Let me just say it again. To live as the missionary you're meant to be, you first have to see Jesus correctly. That's where we're going in today's message. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, we're going to start reading Luke 2, Verse 22, I'd encourage you always bring either a Bible or some kind of device to read from. If you don't have anything with you, then you can follow along with me up on the screens here. All right, Luke 2, starting in verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they, that's Mary and Joseph, Jesus' parents, uh, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And they came to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So there are two things going on in these verses we just read, and I'll show them to you and we'll talk about them. Purification and presentation. Back in this time when a woman would give birth to a child, she would have to go through a purification process. If, uh, if you want to read more about that process, get your Bibles out, go to the Old Testament, read Leviticus chapter 12. That's where you'll find the details of this process. Uh, but the process was as follows. A woman, she'd give birth to a child, and then there, were, there was a period of time in which she was considered unclean. She couldn't enter the temple. She couldn't touch anything that was considered holy. Seven days if she had given birth to a baby boy, 14 days if she had given birth to a baby girl. Now, after that time frame, she basically entered a period of waiting. She wasn't considered clean or unclean. She was just kind of hanging out uh, 33 days if she had had a boy, 66 days if it was a little girl. And then after that time frame, the last part of the process uh, was what we see Mary doing. She would come in to the temple and she would make a sacrifice in order to atone for her sins and her uncleanliness, thereby restoring her back to God and his people, and she would be considered Purified. So this is what we find Mary doing. 
She comes to the temple to complete this process. She had made it through the 40 days, and she brings with her uh, either doves or pigeons, as we just read. These were the sacrifices that poor people would bring. Leviticus 12 tells us that if a woman couldn't afford to bring a lamb, she could bring a bird. I just want to tell you today, look, if, uh, if you've ever struggled financially, if you just don't have a lot, if life is, is hard for you in that area, Jesus knows what that's like. That was his family. He was raised by, by two broke, unmarried teenagers. He knows what you're going through. Uh, the second thing that was happening in this passage was presentation. All the way back in Exodus 13, God commanded his people through the prophet Moses to consecrate their firstborn sons to him. Uh, I would encourage you, uh, get your Crosspoint City apps open and check out our message study guide. You can find these passages that I'm mentioning, and I want you to go read about this stuff on your own. But, but he tells Moses, look, I want you to consecrate, tell the people to consecrate their kids to me as a reminder of what I've done for them to free them from slavery in Egypt. If you know the story, many of you may not, so read about it, but if you know the story, you know that, that the 10th plague that God used to free his people from slavery in Egypt was death of the firstborn sons. The angel of death swept through the land, killed all the firstborn sons of the Egyptians, but God made a way for all the firstborn sons of the Israelites to be saved. And so God told the people, consecrate your firstborn sons to me because I want you to remember what I've done. So Mary and Joseph, they show up to the temple to present Jesus to God the Father. And in the middle of these purification and presentation ceremonies, this guy shows up. Just some guy. His name is Simeon. And we're going to read about him in the next set of verses. So check it out with me. Uh, Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, we're going to read in just a moment, verse 28, that, uh, that Simeon took Jesus up in his arms and, and he blessed God. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Simeon. This is the only passage in which he shows up. Not a lot of historical information on him. But we're told just a few things. One, he was a righteous guy. He was devout. He loved God. Secondly, we're told that that he was waiting for Israel's consolation. In other words, he knew all the Old Testament promises that God had given his people. Promises to one day send a savior into the world to rescue people from their sins and to restore them back to him. And this was a guy longing for the day that savior would come. And then finally, we're told that the Holy Spirit was upon him. I love this. Here's a guy who walked so closely with God that the very spirit of God rested upon him before the Holy Spirit came into the world to fill men and women, followers of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit had shown Simeon that he would not die, leave this world, until he, with his very own eyes, saw the promised Savior. And so the Holy Spirit guides him into the temple. Don't you love that? The Holy Spirit, when you're sensitive to him, he leads you, he guides you through life each and every day. The Holy Spirit guides him into the temple as Jesus and his family are there. And we just, uh, we just saw he comes in, and in verse 28, I told you this, look at it. He took Jesus up in his arms. 
He blessed God and he said, now before I tell you what he said, does anybody else find this strange? Some crazy guy off the street walks into the temple, snatches baby Jesus out of mom and dad's arms. Is that weird to anybody else but me? Parents in the room, have you ever had this happen? Crazy person grabs your baby. I remember when my oldest, Rowan, was a baby. We had this happen. There was a lady, we were out somewhere and and there was a lady who knew my wife and I, but we didn't know her. Uh, that happens at times because I, I get on stages like this and I speak in different places, not just here. And so people will know me and I don't really know them. And, and so this woman who knows us, she comes in and she grabs our baby out of my wife's arms. And my wife, she's kind of freaking out and I'm trying to be nice and play it off. And, and this lady, she has our daughter. And, and finally she gives her back to my wife and she leaves and And Amber looks at me and says, who was that? And I said, I have no idea. Like, weird moment. I just wonder if this was a weird moment if Mary and Joseph are looking at each other going, do you know this guy? I don't know this guy. Who is this guy? But what I love is that Simeon, we see this in the passage, wasn't a crazy man. He was actually very collected. He knew exactly who he was holding. And what he said as he blessed God with Jesus in his arms lets us know that this is true. Look at this, verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. I love this. Just picture Simeon, this devout man who loved God. He is holding the Savior in his arms. This baby boy who's not even six weeks old just yet. And he's holding me, he's saying, God, thank you for the salvation that this baby boy has brought into the world. Salvation that not only belongs to us as, as your people, the Jewish people, but, but he's bringing salvation to the Gentiles as well, pagan, non-Jewish people like you and me sitting in this room today. And I love it. He's holding this baby boy and he's saying to God, God, I can finally depart in peace. I can close my eyes in death. I can, I can leave this world now because my eyes have seen your salvation. What a beautiful picture. Can I just ask you this? Look, do you know, do you know that only Jesus can give you peace in death? Do you know that? Simeon recognized it. I wonder how many of us know that today. That only Jesus can give us peace in death. I did a funeral for a friend of mine earlier this year in our church. His name was Steve. And a couple years ago, Steve had been diagnosed with colon cancer. I still remember the first week after his surgery, he actually showed up here to church on Sunday. He pulls his shirt up to show me, like, his stomach is stapled together. I'm like, bro, what are you doing? And he said, dude, I just had to get to church. That's the kind of guy Steve was. He would sit in the second row right here, right behind me, week in and week out. Well, earlier this year, uh, it became apparent that the doctors had done all that they could do for Steve, and unless God moved supernaturally in his life, miraculously, that his time was short. And so in the months leading up to his death, I just remember I talked to Steve on a regular basis. How you doing? Steve, how you feeling? What's going on in your heart and, and in your mind? And he'd have good days and bad days, but regardless of how good or bad his days were, he would always say the same thing to me. I'm at peace. James, I'm not scared. The only thing he was fearful of was leaving behind his 15-year-old daughter. Understandable, right? But he'd look at me and he'd say, James, I'm at peace. I'm not scared of death. And in his own words, here's what he'd say. Jesus has saved me. 
Jesus has changed me. And I know that when I close my eyes in death, I will wake up a restored man in his very presence. Look, how about you? When you think about death, do you have peace? When you think about the day in which you leave this world, does this overwhelming sense of peace just wash over you? The only way that that's possible is by Jesus, the one who has overcome death on your behalf. You can try to give yourself peace all you want. You can try to be a good person, follow the rules, do all the right things, but I will just remind you today that your own efforts will only leave you hoping. I hope I've done enough. I I hope I've been good enough. I hope God accepts me. I hope I, I float off into some better life after this one. Your own efforts will only leave you hoping, but Jesus can give you hope. And Simeon's words remind us of why and how this is true. Keep reading with me. Verse 33, he goes on to talk directly to Mary and Joseph. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the falling and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. He's talking to Mary directly there so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So in these verses, Simeon, he's he's speaking with a prophetic tone, which means that that God had shown him things about Jesus that other people couldn't see, and so he spoke up and he made those things known. And and he gave here three specific prophecies. Um, The first was this, Jesus, he would cause many to rise and fall, which he did. I mean, he spent his life humbling, uh, proud, arrogant, exalted people, and exalting, low, humble, broken people. And it's beautiful. Jesus continues to do the same today. Secondly, Simeon told his parents that he'd be opposed, and he was. It was opposition that ultimately led to Jesus' death, and even after his resurrection, he continued to be opposed. His followers were hunted down and killed proclaiming that Jesus, their savior, their leader, their brother, their friend, had risen from the dead. And many people in our world today are still opposed that severely for their faith in Jesus Christ. And then lastly, Simeon says to Mary, a sword would pierce through her soul. He was referring to the day some 33 years later on which Mary would stand at the foot of her son's cross. Parents in the room, would you just go there emotionally with me for a moment? Can you imagine what this was like for her? Imagine if it was your kid, beaten, to within an inch of his or her life, that it was your child nailed to the cross, hanging on the side of the road, naked, covered in his or her own blood, sweat, feces, urine. Every person passing by is spitting upon your child, mocking your child, and there's nothing you can do. You can't comfort your child. You can't wrap your arms around him or her. You just have to sit there and watch as your kid suffers a slow painful, agonizing death. It would probably feel like someone was shoving a sword through your soul. This is what Mary went through. And I want to remind us today, church, this is why we have hope. We have hope because Jesus willingly humbled himself to the point of death on a cross that he might exalt lowly, broken, humble people like you and me. 
We have hope today because Jesus willingly faced opposition and even death in our place for our sins that we might be forgiven, loved, and accepted by God. And then three days later, he came bursting forth from the grave to bring us new and eternal life. I believe there's some of us in this room today that need that hope. We need that peace that only Jesus Christ can bring. And if that's you, I pray that today would be the day that you lay claim to that peace and hope that Jesus wants to graciously and freely give you. It's yours because of him. I want us to go back to the passage. There was a second person that showed up in the temple while Jesus and his family were there. Her name is Anna, and we're gonna read about her. Pick back up with me, verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84. And then she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Now, like Simeon, we don't know a ton about Anna. All we know is is what we just read. Three specific things. One, that she was a prophetess, meaning that she was a woman who heard directly from God. And then she spoke to God's people on God's behalf. We know that she was a widow. She was married for uh, a short time, and then her husband passed away. And we also know, and I love this about Anna, that she was a woman devoted to prayer. She spent her life in the temple seeking God. If you're taking notes, I want to give you something to write down, and you can write a shorter version or your own version. But I want you to write it down, and we're going to talk about how this was true in Anna's life. People who devote themselves to prayer see and experience things other people don't see and experience. Would you just write that down? People who devote themselves to prayer see and experience things that other people don't see and experience. This is something God has been teaching me personally over the last several months. And it's driven me to my knees more and more in prayer. And I have seen God do things and move in ways in my life that have increased my faith and trust in him. And I'll give you just a couple of examples from this past week. Look, last Sunday, many of you know that, that we went into that day. It was our big reveal day for the next initiative. And, and we weren't at our goal. We were about $15,000 short. Uh, going into last Sunday at the beginning of that week, we were about $22,000 short. And so I texted our elders and I, and I let our staff know where we were. And I said, guys, would you join me in specifically praying that God would provide at least, at least $22,000 by this Sunday. Like I'm praying that God would provide and meet our need by, by December 6th, our big reveal date. And so we started praying. Well, some more money came in throughout the week. And then on Saturday night, I got a text letting me know, hey, we checked all the mail. There's no more money. Uh, we're at $1.285, $15,000 short of $1.3 million. And when I read that text, it was weird. I just had this overwhelming sense of peace come over me. I'd been believing God for the past couple months as we were walking through this period that he was going to provide what we needed. And so I just kept praying, God, would you provide? 15 grand is nothing to you. God, you own everything. This is a a drop in the hat for you. And so I woke up Sunday morning, even still praying, God, would you do something today? Would you provide for us? And, And I came in last Sunday and in our first two gatherings, 8.30 and 10 o'clock, I stood on this stage and celebrated that together we had given 1.285, unbelievable amount of money. And it's awesome, so proud of our church. And then after this gathering that we're sitting in, I had somebody come to me and hand me an envelope. 
We don't want to miss out on what God's doing. This will put you over the top. Open it up. We're at 1.305. That's God. That's God. If I hadn't been praying specifically the whole time, God, would you do this? I could have missed it. I could have given us credit. I could have given that person credit in that moment. But instead, I looked at that person and I said, God just used you to answer a prayer I've been praying all week. That's God. I'll give you another example from last Sunday. I went into this series praying specifically that God would open the eyes of people who'd show up to this building week in and week out, that they might see Jesus for who he truly is. Last Sunday, I got together with our team before the gatherings, and we prayed that specific prayer. God, would you open people's eyes today? And so after our 1130 gathering, I had this young girl get up out of her seat. She's sitting probably the fourth or fifth row, and she came and met me right down here at the front of the stage. And she said, James, I want to give my life to Jesus. And I don't know why this came out of my mouth. I usually never ask this, but, but I did in this moment. I said, why? Why do you want to give your life to Jesus? And her exact words were these. My eyes have been opened today. That's God. And if I hadn't been praying specifically, God opened people's eyes, I could have missed easily that, that he was moving, that he was working, that his, that was him. Again, people who devote themselves to prayer get to see and experience things that, that other people miss. And this was certainly true in Anna's life. I want to show you what I mean. Look at verse 38 with me. And coming up at that very hour, the hour in which Simeon's there, Jesus and his family are there, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. I love it. We get a picture of this woman who had devoted her life to seeking God, and now she's seeing God. She walks into the temple as a woman devoted to God in prayer, and in this moment she recognizes that she is in the presence of God himself in human form. She saw something in this moment that many people missed throughout Jesus' lifetime that many people still continue to miss today. And like Simeon, she thanked God. Thank you, God, for your salvation. But then she took it one step further than Simeon. We just read it. She went on to tell anybody and everybody who would give her the time of day about this Savior God had sent into the world. Now, I want to be really clear here because I don't want to imply in any way that Simeon was this inwardly focused guy who, uh, who didn't care anything at all about telling people about Jesus. I, I don't think that was his heart by any means. I do, however, believe that it can be our heart at times. And so let me ask you this question, and I want you to be really honest with yourself today. What do you see when you see Jesus? Do you see mine? Or do you see ours? When you see Jesus, do you see a savior that came for you? Or do you see a savior that came for us? This is a huge question. And, and I'll make it really practical so that you can answer these questions more honestly. All right, Are you the person uh, that's willing to say to God, God, thank you for my salvation. Thank you for what you've done for me. God, thank you that, that because I know Jesus, now I can die in peace. Like, is that where it stops for you? My fear is that for many Christians, that's exactly where it stops. Like, they profess faith in Jesus. They claim to be grateful to God for what he's done in their life, but then they spend their life hiding out in church buildings, away from the big, bad world that's still full of people who desperately need what they have. They never, if you will, they never get to the place of Anna. 
They never move from thanking God for Jesus to telling others about Jesus. Now, why is that? Well, I think it's due in large part to the individualistic society that we live in. This is no secret. We live in a society that tells us we're the most important person on the face of the planet. It's all about you. You're number one. Watch out for yourself. The individual is always more important than the group. And for a lot of people, that spills over into their spiritual life. And they put themselves at the center of their relationship with Jesus, which is, is contradictory to everything Jesus stood for and taught. I also think that the church, in some ways, is to blame. Right? I'll give you an example. I remember as a guy growing up in church, uh, hearing certain pastors say something to this effect. And if you grew up in or around church, you've heard this too. I would hear pastors at times say something like this. If you were the only person on the planet, Jesus would have still left heaven and come and died just for you. That sounds awesome, doesn't it? Sounds like something we all really want to believe and we should believe. Can I tell you the problem with it? It is not biblically supported. Do you know what is biblically supported? It's this. That God's plan from the very beginning was to send a savior into the world to save a people, not just a person. And I'm going to give you proof, all right? Uh, Let me show you some passages so you don't think I'm lying. Check this out. I tried to highlight the plural pronouns in these passages so that it was easy for you to understand. This is Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for who? For us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for who? For us. For us. Look at 2 Corinthians 5 with me. For the love of Christ controls us. And why? Well, because we, together, we've come to a conclusion. And here's a conclusion we've come to, that one, that's Jesus, has died for all. And therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. Hey, are you living for yourself? Can I just remind you today, Jesus died so you wouldn't do that anymore? He died so that you wouldn't live for yourself, but for him. But for him, who for their sake died and was raised. I'll give you one more. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race. These are all plural words, by the way. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you, that's a plural you, by the way. And can I just tell you, most oftentimes when you read the New Testament, the yous that you see in the scripture are plural, not singular. Just remember that when you're reading the Bible, that you, plural, may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you, plural, out of darkness and into his marvelous light. All these passages, along with countless others in the scriptures, point to the fact that when we think of Jesus, we shouldn't think of mine, we should think of ours. Jesus didn't come just to save you or just to save me, he came to save us. And Peter, as we just read, tells us that Jesus came to save us so that we might tell other people who aren't with us yet that they are included in the us category. Are you with me? Jesus has made a way for them along with us uh, to get out of darkness and, and to know and experience what's in the light. In other words, Jesus, he's provided a way for us to escape death, sin, suffering, brokenness, and to experience joy, life, peace, and freedom. Jesus is the way. Now, I got to thinking as I'm writing this past week, what does that look like? This right view of Jesus, this 
this, uh, this us, not me, this ours, not mine, what does that right view of Jesus look like? And how does it play out in the life of one of his followers? As I was wrestling with that, God brought to my attention a passage from 1 Corinthians 9. It's the Apostle Paul, he's writing to the church at Corinth about his own life. And I want to share this picture with you, all right? Check out this, uh, this verse with me. It's, it'll be up, up, up on the screens. Excuse me, I'm talking faster than my mouth. Um, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Now look at this. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. And look at this, I love this. I have become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. And why does Paul do it? Well, he says he does it for the sake of the gospel, that other people might share with him and its blessings. Do you know what Paul told us in these verses? Guys, I became a missionary for the sake of Christ. I adapted to different cultures, to different people groups, to different ways of living for the sake of people who are in desperate need of what Jesus has done for me. Paul was a guy willing to lay down his very life for the sake of those he was trying to reach. He laid down his rights. He laid down his preferences. He laid down his privileges. I just wonder how many of us in the room are willing to do the same. Can I remind us today that in Jesus we have a Savior who has laid down all those things for our sake. He left heaven. And in leaving heaven, he left behind preference, privilege. He left behind what was rightfully his. And he humbled himself and became a servant to us that he might give up his very life to save us. And as his followers, look, we're called to follow in his footsteps. You know what that means? It means that you and I are called to lay down whatever we need to lay down for the sake of helping our neighbors, our friends, our family members, our coworkers get to Jesus, our Savior. That's what it means. We have to lay down things like fear, comfort, familiarity. We have to lay down things like, like unnecessary arguments about certain social issues and political preferences. Some of us need to lay down our need to be heard or our need to be right. Why? Because there's people out there who need what we have. And for some of us, those things are standing in the way. What right is preventing you from pursuing people? Well, what preference in your life has created a wall between you and people who are far from God? What, what preference are you holding tightly to that is standing in the way of you making Jesus known to people who need to know him? Look, I'm sure all of us have an answer to that question. And I would bet at the same time, look, I'd bet at the same time, that there are some of us in this room thinking, James, I don't know if I can lay that down, bro. I don't know if I can walk away. I don't know if I can leave that behind. If that's you, can I ask you this? Who are you focused on? You, right? And I just wonder if that's a result of you seeing Jesus as yours, not ours. I think that in some way, shape, form, or fashion, you've allowed yourself to believe that you can hold tightly to your rights, your preferences, and your privileges while holding tightly to Jesus at the same time. 
And I want to remind you today, in love, but also very directly, it doesn't work like that. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus himself says that if we want to follow him, we have to lose our life for his sake. That we've got to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. Do you know that you can't take up your cross and follow Jesus when your hands are still full of your rights, your preferences, and your privileges? If you're taking notes, I want you to write down this final statement and then we're done. Here it is. Here's the big idea of the whole day. If you don't get anything, get this. If all I see when I see Jesus is me, Jesus will never be seen through me. So here are the two questions that I'm gonna close with today. Who in your life needs to see Jesus? Who in your life needs to see Jesus? Second question is this. What do you need to lay down so that they can see Jesus through you? Here's the simple invitation today. Would you lay it down? Would you lay it down? Would you leave it here? Would you open yourself up to God today and allow him to do something in your life that only he can do so that those people in your life who need to see Jesus can see Jesus through you? I'm gonna invite us all over the room just to bow our heads and to close our eyes. We're gonna pray together. I'm gonna also invite our prayer team to come in this moment and to get in their places. As we were preparing for this series, uh, God just really burdened me that we had a lot to pray for and we had a lot to pray about. And and I said this last week, I don't want prayer to be the exception in our church. I want it to be the norm. I don't want us to to be those people whose default is, I'm not going to ask anybody to pray for me. Like, I want our default to be, man, if there's somebody who wants to pray for me, I'm going to let them pray for me. James chapter 5 tells us that the prayer of a righteous man is effective. And so we have people today that want to pray for you. Look, there are three parts to the invitation today. The first is this. Again, what do you need to lay down? You know what it is. God knows what it is. I want to invite you to come in just a moment and to lay it down. If you want to do it at your seat, that's fine. If you want to come and and kneel at the front of this room and lay it down here, that's great. I really want to encourage some of you to get out of your seats and to come and and to ask these people up front to pray for you. Tell them, I I need to lay down fear. I need to lay down pride. I I need to lay down uh, a need to be heard, a need to be right. And I need you to pray that God would give me the power I need to lay it down. Let them pray over your life today. The second part of the invitation is this. That person in your life or those people in your life who you know need to see Jesus through you, I want to invite you in the next few moments to cry out to God on their behalf, to pray by them for, uh, to pray for them by name, to ask God to save them, to change them. And I also want you to ask God to use you as a catalyst for change in their life. I'm just going to tell you in just a moment, I'm going to be on my face here at the front of this room praying for a couple of family members that I am begging God to save. And if you want to come join me and you want to get on your knees with me and and pray for those people in your life, man, I want to invite you to come and to pray. And then the last thing is this. I think there may be some of us in this room today who are desperate for peace, desperate for hope. We don't know Jesus. We don't have a relationship with God. If that's you, I want you to know God loves you more than you could ever comprehend. He put his son on a cross in your place to prove his love for you. 
And it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, how badly you think you've messed up. You have not run too far. You have not done too much. You cannot out the grace of God. God has a gift that he wants to give you through Jesus. He wants to change your life. He wants to adopt you into his family. He wants to make you a new person. And he wants to give you the hope of eternity with him. And if you need that today, as we stand in a moment, I would encourage you, just get out of your seat and join others that are going to be walking to the front of this room and just tell someone on our prayer team, and I need that peace James talked about. I need that hope James talked about. I I need Jesus. And we want to pray for you. God, I'm praying in the next few moments that you'd move in power. God, would you just let your Holy Spirit flood this place, change our lives. God, help us to lay things down that we might take hold of Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.